Hi, this is Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher and life coach. I'm also author of several self-help books. I wanted to introduce Deborah Ellinger. She's a former CEO with extensive global board experience. She's also a frequent speaker on private equity investment, activist investor engagement, board governance, and women's leadership. She has been actively involved at a high level with many companies, iRobot, Covetress, Boston Consulting, MedSpas, Restoration Hardware, Wellness Pet Food, CVS, and Staples. Deborah graduated from Cambridge University in England studying mathematics and law, and she keeps running the Boston Marathon. Deborah is married with two children and lives in Florida. So thank you so much, Deborah, for coming on board. I've heard that you like to talk about the ABCs of women's career management, and I'm wondering what that is. Well, hi, Mary Kay. Thanks for that very kind introduction. And everyone should know Mary Kay and I've known each other for more than 20 years as neighbors and friends. And I love the fact that Mary Kay spends a lot of time figuring out how to help lift people up and help people help themselves. So I'm thrilled to be part of it. Thank you. In answer to your question, the ABCs of women's career management are really all about the three things that I see women most needing advice on. And I'll explain what they are in a moment. But the ABCs that I talk about are ask, asking for what you need. Brand, branding is all about making sure people understand who you are and what you bring to the table in a short way. And C is about connecting. It's about networking and how you do it, how you expand your network. We can talk about any of those three, but based on where where you focus, Mary Kay, I think we might talk a little bit about number one, the ask um, topic. Is that okay with you? Yes, that sounds great. So let me just talk about asking for a minute. One of the things that I think I've seen with women in particular, and some men too, but generally with women, is they're reluctant to ask for what they need in order to be successful. And I, let me give you an example for that. Right at the beginning of your career, Mary Kay, can you go back to your own first job, first paid job, and remember when you got that job offer? Did you ask for more money or not? Do you Do you remember? No, I did not ask for more money. And I remember working on a new business pitch. I was with an advertising agency and I had spent a lot of time on it and I was really proud of it. It was a hundred pages and it was for this new business pitch that they really wanted this business. And I remember handing it to the president of the company and I never heard anything else about it. And then a vice president reached out to me and said, hey, I I read that pitch you wrote. That was really great. Did you ever hear back? And I said, no, I never heard anything. And she said, the first page was ripped off and the president had put his name on it. (laughs) (laughs) So I I basically was like, well, I'm not going to ask for any more money. I'm going to get out of here if that's how they operate. (laughs) So I yeah, love interesting. Yeah. Well, let's go back to this topic of asking, though, because it's very interesting. And there's been a lot of research done on this. Mm-hmm. When when students come out of college and they get their first job and they are offered that job, a certain percent ask for more money and a and certain percent don't. And it is quite different by male versus female. 
So let me just ask you again. I'm sorry, I'm interviewing you almost. No, that's okay. I'll make a guess. What percent of men ask for more money and what percent of women ask for more, more money coming out of college? What's your guess? I would say 95% men ask for more money, 20% women. So you're not far off in terms of the difference. It's actually around 60% for men. Oh. But it's less than 10% for women. Wow. Less than 10% to 8%. That's kind of the last data I've seen. That's really interesting. And so you, you think about that and you wonder why don't women ask for more money? What is it that holds them back? And you talk to women about it and you find out that it's things like I thought they might not like me. I thought they might rescind the job. There was, I don't want to be too pushy. There were all these reasons not to ask. Mm -hmm. Men were kind of, well, if I don't ask, I certainly won't get it. Right. You know, and obviously some men don't ask as well because there's 40% who don't ask. But, but the number is staggeringly different. And if you think about that, that just on its own could account for pay disparity between men and women. I completely agree. Wow. Right. And it's been interesting for me because I've got two girls and they're different personalities. And I remember one of them when she got her first job being very, very reluctant to ask for more money. And unfortunately for her, I beat her up really badly over it. And she did <laughs> ask for more money, you know, despite the reluctance. And she did get about 10% more than they originally offered her. That's great. Right. And the worst that can happen is they say no. <laughs> you right. know. Yeah. So what I attribute this to partly, though, is that we're all taught to be team players where we girls in particular, um, we don't like risk as much. We feel it's risky to ask for more. Right. I agree. And so I spend a lot of time with women. And by the way, this is not just girls. This is not just women coming out of college. Even as I've talked to friends who are 50 years old and negotiating for some big job, including CEO jobs. Mm hmm. They don't always ask for everything they think they should get. And I've done it myself. Mm -hmm. So this notion of asking is really important to think about what you need and what are the real risks that you perceive and why you see them that way. Right. It's interesting because the, the one time that I asked for the world was when I was safe in a job and a company had recruited me to come on board and I really didn't want to leave because I love the people I work with and it was a, a great setup. And so I said, well, I would only leave if you give me this amount of money and it was outrageous and four weeks vacation and parking. I just came up with a list of a million things and they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that was easy. But I thought, yeah. why haven't I been doing this my whole life? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But so so it's interesting. And it's not just about money. You know, it's no. about that plum assignment, the nice project you want to be on. It's about going to a conference or getting some training. It's about promotions, but even lateral moves as well. So you can increase your experience. Asking for introductions. I'll tell you a funny story. I was at a Boston Consulting Group conference and I was a speaker on women's leadership mm -hmm. and we had a great great discussion in the bar later I was talking to a couple of the women and they were bemoaning the fact that they had to deal with their newborn babies and it was hard to be at this conference with small kids and that you know BCG wasn't doing anything in particular to help 
And I said, well, did you ask? <laughs> and all these women who were senior women at BCG, very, you know, real go-getters, type A, sort of looked at me with a dropped jaw and said, well, no. And the CEO of BCG was sitting just down the bar. I grabbed him and said, hey, Rich, if they'd asked for a babysitting set up here, would you have agreed? And he said, yes, of course. <laughs> That's great. Made the deal in the bar. <laughs> but nobody individually felt they could ask. Right, right. No, so it, part it, of the, you know, lesson there is talk to each other and find out what you each need and then get together and try and ask for these things if it's uncomfortable asking personally. No, I agree. Collaboration is key. As a group, you can do so much more. And it's a little yeah. scary to do it alone. No, so that's a, that's a great concept. But could you talk to me a little bit about branding? Sure. So the branding thing is interesting. And, and again, all of my comments here don't apply only to women. I'm just really giving you a generalization. So be careful about that. But one of the things I see in managing your career is it's really important to make sure everybody around you knows what you stand for, what, what you are, what you offer, what it is that makes you uh, valuable. And one of the things I've seen women do a lot is when they're asked that question, they'll give you a list of 10 reasons, 10 things they're great at. And I find like with any other thing you're thinking about branding is you've really got to boil it down to three. Because by the time you get to point number 10, you've forgotten what number one, two, and three are. Yeah, that's so, really interesting because I definitely do that. You think you're more yeah. valuable if you have all right. these different and women skills. in particular over talk this they go on for a long time because they feel like they've got to justify themselves instead of saying what are the three and then nailing those three right and this is hard i'm going to be nasty now and put you on the spot what are your three? <laughs> oh wow this is hard well i think that i'm a creative thinker so i usually look at a situation very differently than a group would look at it yeah, that that's would, your number one. That's then. my okay. one. And my second one is I can connect with lots of different personalities. So if you have a, a difficult client that you need to sell to, uh, uh, they would send me, likely, yeah, it's okay it's to have hard. two, by the way. Okay. I'd say two or three is okay. And you did a great job. You did a much better job than most people do. Oh. <laughs> what what <laughs> I, I often hear from people is I'm a team player. A team you, player. Right? And, and I think yeah, I know. That, that helped with sport. Yeah. It does help, but it's not differentiated. Everybody says they're a team player. Oh, really? Everybody says, you know, I'm organized. Everybody says, I mean, it, it's interesting. And so you've got to say what's different about you. Right. So, yeah, and I'll But I don't mine. think everybody's a team player. No, but everybody says they are. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, every now and then somebody will say I'm an individualist and I pursue something to its end no matter what somebody else thinks. Every now and then you'll get one of those, but almost it's very rare. So what are your three? So my number one is I'm data-driven. Everything I do is about data and facts and information, and that's how I make decisions. That's great. So, yeah, and it, um, analytical, et cetera. And you can put lots of proof points underneath each of your brand points if you want. So data-driven is my number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is I'm a change agent. 
I that. really like to be somewhere where I can make change happen. That's why it's so much fun being a CEO because you're in a position to do it, but you can do it from anywhere in a company. Right. Looking for improvement opportunities, trying to get people around me to get excited about them as well. Mm-hmm. And then my third is more wishy-washy. Sometimes I just stick to the two, but my third is about my style of leadership, which is a quiet but passionate leadership. It's kind of intellectual and intentional it's not one of these beat your chest and be noisy about it type of leadership yes but but you know there are people who are beat the chest leaders who are great leaders as well you just need to know which you are and what you'll notice is in my list of three I didn't say I'm a retailer and consumer product specialist I've been a CEO I'm a math major I mean there's all this stuff I could have said right I sit on company boards blah 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 right That's that's really good advice because I do think there are different styles. I think men would narrow the list down. I think that women are used to multitasking and doing a lot and saying they can do a lot is a a bonus to them. That's how they operate. But I think men would probably narrow that list down. I remember in the workplace, too, that I noticed women would often – be very task oriented and they would work really hard and be in their office and sort of like check the box, get everything done that they were doing. But like when we had a meeting, the men would go to the meeting early and shoot the breeze with each other and connect. And the women would rush in right when it started and sit down, get ready to go. And I remember telling women on my team, go early so that you can connect with other people in the company and see what other people are working on. It's interesting. Sometimes we're so focused, hyper-focused on getting the job done that we don't think about how important that social aspect in the way. Yeah, and we we should come back to the connecting thing in a moment. But on on that branding point, there's another just sub-point is Uh that one of the things I've seen women do more than men is as well as over-talking and giving the very long list, they also are a little bit too honest. I know it sounds funny to say it that way, but they will tell you all their strengths and all their weaknesses. That's interesting. Yes. Yes. You know, they'll say something like, I learn really quickly and I'm great with computers, but I've never used SQL, sir, and I don't know how web pages work. Why why do you need to say that? Just say, I learn really quickly and I'm great with computers. Right. Exactly. Why do women feel like they've got to have the butt? Right. It's fascinating to me. They think that might be humble, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I think that's part of it was taught to be self-effacing. Right. So just sort of get everybody's guard down, just self-deprecating. Right. Yeah, you're not allowed to brag about how good you are with computers, so you have to qualify it. Right. So, But back to the connecting, though. You're right. The connecting is actually quite important, both within a company, but also without, you know, outside a company. Mm-hmm. And to your point about women being very busy and getting everything done, I don't think they spend as much time as they could in just networking and getting to know people and reaching out beyond their own network. Mm -hmm. And I I just think it's incredibly important to do. How do they do that? So I think it's a good question. I mean, it seems Um, obvious, but I don't know that it is to women. Right. Well, let me give you an example that, you know, I've looked back at my own connections and how did I get those connections. Mm Mm-hmm. And about, this is, gosh, more than 20 years ago, when it, whenever it was, maybe it was 15 years ago, I got on my first board. It was Malden Mills, which you may know, the maker of Polartec fleece. Oh, right. Yes. 
And I thought it was a really interesting company. They'd come out of bankruptcy. I had heard through the grapevine that they needed board members. And coming out of bankruptcy, that's kind of interesting. And I thought, okay, let me see who I know. And I didn't know anybody at, at Morgan Mills. But I did look it up and I saw that I knew people at the law firm that was representing the unsecured creditors and I knew people at the law firm that was representing the secured creditors and I knew a few people at General Electric, um, uh, GE Capital, where they had a certain percentage of the company coming out of bankruptcy. So I made it my job basically to talk to people who knew people who knew people on this because I zeroed in on it and thought this is a really interesting company, I'd love to be involved. It's a local Boston-based company. Mm -hmm. And in going back and adding this up, I actually talked to more than 20 different people who knew somebody who knew somebody. So it took me more than 20 contacts to get into the three decision makers within the Molden Mills kind of board hierarchy. So somebody I played squash with introduced me to one of the attorneys at one of the law firms who then introduced me to the attorney who was handling the case. But I had to ask for this. I mean, this was very direct networking. You know, could I meet so-and-so? And people are actually happy to help. They didn't know who I was or what I could bring. But when they were asked for a specific request that they could help with, they were delighted to help. If instead I'd said, oh, I'm interested in joining a board, that's too vague. Right. You don't know how to help somebody who says that. But if somebody says, I'd really like to meet so-and-so because he's working on the board for you know, the Molden Mills coming out of bankruptcy, it's specific, it's actionable, and they can help. And they are delighted to do it even though they don't know you. Right. That's really good advice. How else can they connect with people? Do you suggest like connecting on LinkedIn to strangers or is that? No, people are always trying to connect with me on LinkedIn. Hey, we know so-and-so in common or we've got this in common. That just makes your LinkedIn um, connections weak and useless. LinkedIn is only powerful as a tool if you actually know the people you're connected to. Right. And, and personally, I have a rule on LinkedIn. I don't accept a connection to anybody unless I've met them at least twice in person. Interesting, yes. Right. Do you know how many connections you have on LinkedIn? Any idea? I I think it's like a thousand. Yeah. So you probably know more than a thousand people. Right. Right. Have you bothered to connect to all the people you know? You know, most people haven't. Right. So no. it's actually useful to know all the people you know and get them on there. Right. And I don't accept people I don't know, but it's amazing how many people will try to connect on LinkedIn that have never met you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is a fabulous tool, I, I think. So to give you yes. an example, not that long ago, a friend of mine said that he really needed to talk to the CEO of the Jockey Club in England. And because I'm English, he said, do you know the CEO of the Jockey Club? And I'm going, I don't think so. I don't think I know anybody <laughs> at the Jockey Club. Just because I'm English doesn't really mean much. But I went onto LinkedIn and guess what? One of my friends from college knew the CEO of the Jockey Club. So I made the introduction, which was very helpful to my friend. That is so funny. That's great. But, so you just don't know unless you use the tools that are out there. Right, right. No, that's good advice. I had a friend who was taking on a new job. This is very recently, who's incredibly well connected in the community, but had never bothered with LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And he only had 50 LinkedIn 
friends. And I said, with this new job, he was going to need to know a lot more, have a lot more connections and be able to reach out to people. Within the space of one week, he took that 50 to, to well over 500. Good. That's great. Some people rely on it a lot and other people don't think it can help. I feel like I've heard all sorts of versions of what they think about yeah. LinkedIn. You know, when that Molden Mills example I gave you of getting onto that board 15 years ago, LinkedIn wasn't as prevalent then. It was you know, not the way you did it. But if mm -hmm. it had been, I could easily have used it to say, who, who do I know in that law firm? Mm -hmm. And my friend who wanted the jockey club, I mean, it was absolutely because of that. But I do think there's another way to do this. Let's say you're in a large company, you've got a thousand people and you want to meet somebody else in the company. I think, and again, I'm generalizing, but men have an easier time just going up and saying, hey, let me introduce myself. And women seem to be more shy about that. Right. And it's actually worth taking the risk. This is back to that risk thing, which right. is what's the downside of going and introducing yourself? And, and by the way, you don't need to do a favor for somebody in order to get a favor back. You, you actually, I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but if you ask somebody else for a favor, they actually might like you better. Because if somebody does a favor for you, now you feel in their debt, and that's not a good feeling. Right. That's really good advice. I think that women do feel guilty almost if someone does them a favor. What are you most proud of? interesting as a woman we all say things like i'm proud of my family which i am but for me i'm actually proud of the fact that i can solve problems i really enjoy solving problems and i've been pretty successful solving problems mm -hmm. and when i think about the different companies i've run and the successes that i've had it's mostly been because i looked at a problem a different way and i looked at a problem and said it's not a problem it's an opportunity right that's key which is back to your podcast. This is all about turning problems into positive moments. Right. That's something that I really think with young women, when they see that rejection is protection and that there's a better opportunity for them, when you have a problem, instead of complaining about it, which a lot of people do, they just fall into the, that habit, what's the solution? How can you fix it so that you can create the next great idea. I've spoken to schools about this topic to get people to think like the CEO of Spanx, how she created something out of a problem, trying to wear white jeans. They all can do that. It doesn't matter how old you are. There are solutions for every problem. And sometimes the younger ones can think of it even, even faster. Like my daughter was just laid off from her job and she's just come up with this app idea because she needed help and she thought this would really help a lot of other people. And, and I said, run with it. Well, here's a good example. I don't know if you knew this, but Staples uh, was founded by Tom Stenberg after he got laid off from, or fired actually, from his previous job. And he needed to print up resumes on the weekend and he couldn't buy printer ink anywhere on the weekend because you could only buy it in companies for commercial printers. So he had this concept of office supplies for individuals. And that's how we built Staples after being fired. Had no idea. That is such a great story. Can I give you one more fun yes, story? This will be a fun please. one. 
a woman who when jogging was becoming fashionable and she was interested in jogging she really liked to do it except that she had rather large ladies who would bounce around <laughs> best way to put it and she decided she needed some kind of a bra that would be effective in holding everything in place she started trying to you know create a solution to that problem that she had and actually was with a friend so trying sewing different things when her husband passed through the living room and threw his jock strap at her and said, here, try this. <laughs> and they, they actually took a couple of jock straps, sewed them together, and that became the first jock bra. She built a, a $100 million company off the back of that because she wanted company. to jog. Right. Yeah. I love it. That's so funny. So de desperation leads to, to good things. Well, I really appreciate your time, Deborah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And good luck in your next marathon. And hopefully we'll be able to have you on the podcast again soon. Yeah, this was fun. It, and it was great to catch up. Thanks so much. Thanks for doing what you do. It's a great, great message that you're sending. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. To end our practice, I'd like to have everyone join me for a short meditation. If you could just close your eyes. If you're seated, just rest your back on your chair. If you are laying flat, you can lay flat on a bed or a towel. And I want you to just take a deep breath in and a long breath out and start to relax the muscles in your face, relax your brow, the back of your head, presses into the earth, unless you're in a chair, just notice the back of your head. Go ahead and relax the inner and outer ear, upper lip, lower lip, jaw relaxes, the neck softens, shoulders feel loose and heavy. And as you inhale, just say to yourself, relax, and then exhale and relax. Allow the upper back to soften and relax, and the lower back relaxes. Your hips and pelvis relax. And now allow your legs to feel loose and heavy down to your feet. And as you inhale, visualize a bright white light surrounding you. And this bright white light is filled with protective energy so that any negative energies just bounce off of you and allow that protective light to envelop you like a cocoon and notice how you're sparkling and glittering inhale all that positive energy that beautiful energy that's all around you and exhale releasing any tension or negative energy Inhale that belief that we are going to trust our intuition. And then exhale and let go of any cynicism, doubt, 
Inhale, allow the breath to help you go deeper and deeper. Allow the sound of my voice to eliminate any distractions. Notice how much calmer you feel. Sometimes it's helpful to visualize something beautiful in nature, a field of wildflowers, a snow-capped mountain, baby birds squawking in a nest, a crackling fire, a double rainbow, a feather on a dirt path, an orange on a valet stand, sitting on the beach, listening to the ocean waves crash at the shore, Now slowly inhale beautiful energy. Exhale, release tension and worry. And now that you've been able to clear your mind, you can go ahead and open your eyes and finish your day. Be sure to subscribe to Mary Kay's Positivity Podcast, and I hope you'll join us again soon. Namaste.